HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we rethink surplus by exploring how innovators are promoting sharing mindsets and responding to excess in creative ways. The whole life cycle of food would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States if it were a country. You know, in the age of COVID, where a lot of those institutional processors did grind to a halt and a lot of farms had to dump milk in Pennsylvania, even while supermarket cases were, were bare, the organic market stayed strong. They source all of these ingredients, they do all of this work, and then they just boil it for a few minutes and then they throw it away. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Caston, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Nina Simons is simply one of America's culinary superstars. Trained in Taiwan in the 70s by China's culinary royalty, author of 11 cookbooks, former Asia editor for Gourmet and reporter for the New York Times. So it was a huge shock to her system that when she got COVID, it stole her sense of taste and smell. And so far, it hasn't come back. Let's have a listen. My brother and I both lost our sense of taste and smell from COVID. I never viewed it, oh my God, what can I do? I'm a chef and I've lost my sense of taste and smell. If I can't taste, how can I use this experience as a chef and as a person to help people? At the very beginning, I lost all sense of taste and smell. But gradually, I would say after a week and a half, I had tiny whiffs. And then I had just like a hint of a certain flavor. So when I caught COVID and I lost my sense of taste and smell, my reaction was, aha, 
I can research this not only as an investigative journalist, I'm not a chemist, I'm a cook, but I can research this as a cook and try to actually create a pleasurable mouthfeel without the sensation of taste and smell. And that's what I have tried to do. And it's been really uplifting for me to write recipes that help people sort of enjoy food. I still, three months later, do not have my full sense of taste and smell. So how did the whole COVID misadventure begin for you? My husband is from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And every year he and I go out there to visit his mother, uh, who is still alive, knock on wood. So for my husband's mother's 88th birthday, we drove because of the virus to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we planned it, We so we thought, brilliantly. But as it turned out, despite our best laid plans, my husband and I did catch COVID. I thought I had a very bad cold. We were only in Kalamazoo for two days and drove back and I started feeling terrible. But the definitive thing was that Friday night, I roasted some Romanesco and I burned it to a crisp and I realized I had no sense of taste or smell. And then we did get tested and we found out that not only my husband and I, but my brother and my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law all had gotten COVID as well. But the two people that lost their sense of taste and smell was my brother and me. And my brother loves to cook. And of course, I've written 11 cookbooks, so I do cook a little bit. (laughs) I can't even tell you how many recipes made up and whatever. That's sort of my life. I lost my sense of taste and smell. But I, on the other hand, took it on as a challenge because I guess that's what I do. You know, I'm a, a soldier and a pioneer. And I had already read quite a bit about losing your sense of taste and smell. And so I really wanted to learn more. So I took it on as a kind of challenge. How could I make food taste good, make food pleasurable without a sense of taste or smell? That was my challenge. Was your training in Chinese cooking and culture at all helpful as a way of retraining your senses, essentially figuring out a way to give yourself taste therapy? Interestingly enough, I went back to my original teachings in classic Chinese cuisine, which go back some ways. I spent three and a half years in Asia studying classic Chinese cuisine, and I helped translate three cookbooks books from Chinese to English, and that's not even counting the 11 books I wrote in English. Because I'm Caucasian, I knew I would come under attack. I I appreciate it. 
I mean, I do have chutzpah to talk about Chinese cooking because I'm not Chinese, but you know what? I'm the next best thing. I call myself a chap instead of a Jap. I'm a Chinese Jewish American princess. When I was 19, I dropped out of college and I decided to study classic Chinese cuisine and Mandarin cooking. And so I took a rather unconventional route. I bought a one-way ticket to Beitongwan, and I got on a plane, traveled 24, 26 hours, and ended up on the other side of the world. And Taipei, that would become my home for the next three and a half years. That was important because I studied with classic Chinese chefs who were from mainland China at a wonderful cooking school. I had been adopted by a surrogate Chinese family. Faithfully or unbelievably, my quote-unquote surrogate Chinese mother was a famous cook in Taipei. It was in the early 70s, so I could not get into China. It was closed because of the Cultural Revolution. So Taipei, Taiwan, was the best place to be. I had a chef who, and this is important, particularly for this story, I believe he was in his late 60s, early 70s, and he smoked nonstop. And he had lost his taste receptors, were (laughs) muted because he had been smoking for so many years and eating such hot spices. He really taught me the importance that texture plays in food. So if you have lost your sense of taste and smell, There are certain things that you can eat. For instance, my brother and I noticed that crispy things like sweet potato fries that were sweet and salty and crisp, they just satisfied so much. But, I mean, I was going to make a diet on sweet potato crisp and really uh, junk food. So I thought about smooth creamy. I would get every now and then smell flash, just smell flashes, which of course help you taste. And so I did start thinking about just the essential flavors and tastes. And inevitably, I started thinking about you, mommy, (laughs) because it's now an accepted, essential taste. Talk more about umami for people who don't really know what it is and how exactly it found its way back into your taste scheme. Umami is a buzzword that was created in the early 1900s. In the Western world, umami is this very appealing mouthfeel that is most related to salt. In Mandarin, we would call it Weijing. Weijing, or flavor salt, is also MSG. 
If you go back to the original creation, umami was invented in 1908 by a chemist. When he tasted dashi, dashi is a natural base soup flavor that is made from seaweed and bonito flakes. And those are dried tuna flakes. They taste smoky. So according to Confucius, which defined the five essential flavors, they're sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And suddenly this umami started to be added to the mix. We'll be back with Nina in a moment to hear more about how it feels and what she did when she lost her sense of taste and smell. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. And we're back with Nina Simons. As I mentioned, I went to live in Asia and I started studying with classic Chinese educated chefs from China. And they all sprinkled this flavor salt, which they called Wei Jing, flavor salt. In fact, my surrogate Chinese mother's family owned one of the largest food manufacturing companies in Taiwan, and they made NMSG. I was really ignorant, and I would just add a little quarter of a teaspoon to my foods. I lived in Taipei for three and a half years, but after a year, I returned to the U.S. to celebrate my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. And I decided I wanted to show off my new skills. And so I created a Chinese banquet on Cape Cod. And I bought wonderful ingredients because it was the height of summer. And I had no MSG. And the dishes were superb without this waging or MSG powder. And from that time on, when I cooked, or even when I cooked with chefs and I brought a few small groups who were professionals to study Chinese cooking, I hid the MSG because we were trained in Asia that MSG or this umami powder just accentuates the flavors of food. It's not really a taste. That's why 
when it was introduced to the U.S., it came out in the form of accent. Now, when I started investigating, I discovered that there are natural glutamates in regular foods, such as fermented foods, fermented soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, aged things have a particular taste. Interestingly, one of the first foods humans taste, breast milk, has glutamates. So the Japanese argued that this creates this natural inbred sort of thirst for protein glutamates. When it was introduced in the West, it was used by the armed services to make cheap ration food taste good, as it had been in Japan. In other words, Ajimoto was an industrialized seasoning. That's what I was taught, which Western chefs did some research and they decided to play with this concept of umami and maybe to create foods that had a type of natural umami, such as minced chopped fish heads and fermented foods. So you were, in a way, imbuing favor with a completely new flavor that I felt was really unnecessary. Like the umami burger, do you really need hamburger to taste meatier? Is that really necessary? And that was what these Western chefs argued, that, you know, this umami, suddenly you can go into Trader Joe's and buy umami in a little paste container, and you can put it on hamburgers or eggs. I mean, do you really need it? That's my question. Did you start just adding more and more umami to your to your diet? And is your taste back? I thought it was. Another very interesting thing in losing your taste and smell is that you recognized how taste is very full dimensional. Are you so well steeped in flavor combinations that essentially you can hear them in your head and taste them in your mouth without actually physically tasting them? There are so many dimensions to taste. It's remarkable. And you don't even realize how complex your sense of taste and smell is until you lose it. I looked for inspiration in life and in food. And I look to people who have lost their sense of hearing or lost their sight. What do they do to bring enjoyment to their life? It leaves them no other avenue but to look for the other pleasures that they have, which we do have. We do have other pleasures in food than just taste. We have texture. My diet of preference became applesauce and creamy yogurt. The applesauce was a little chunky. What are you going to eat today? 
that would give you any kind of pleasure. <laughs> well, I have to say that we just took an emergency trip back to Kalamazoo, Michigan yesterday for a day and a half for lunch. We stopped in Ann Arbor at Zimmerman's and we got ribs. I, I could taste the meat of the ribs. There was coleslaw, that texture of the coleslaw was really terrific. I taste that sour, sweet, salty, you know, and I still don't have the full dimension of flavors that I used to. And my husband said, Nina, maybe you are cursed to not taste umami for the rest of your life. This is what I've lost. I've lost that umami flavor that I'm saying isn't a natural flavor. My husband says, you know what? Maybe you're wrong. And what you don't have back is your umami flavor. Does anybody think it'll get better for you? Oh, it's all a big question mark. People who seem to have minor symptoms of COVID seem to develop the worst loss of taste and smell, five of us in one family, and the two people, my brother and me, with the mildest symptoms developed loss of sense of taste and smell. My brother is still even worse than me. So what they suggest, the doctors, when you lose your sense of taste and smell, is to start just giving yourself little smells each day of certain flavors. For instance, for some reason, the template of cinnamon, nutmeg, that I do recognize. So that was why I was really attracted to chunky applesauce with cinnamon and ginger. And I use some really unctuously rich vanilla yogurt on top. And that's what I've been living on. Nina, thank you so much for sharing this experience with us. Wow. We wish you well in your journey back to the joy of food. And listeners, stay tuned to this space for periodic progress reports on how Nina is faring. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. This podcast is supported by the Hunger to Health Collaboratory, a cross-sector leadership initiative dedicated to reducing the health consequences of hunger. With generous support from Stop and Shop, Hunger to Health Collaboratory convenes partners across sectors to advocate for health equity and food security. For more information, visit hungertohealthcollaboratory.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter 
at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 